0: right our subject is uh luke luke chapter 8 and we're looking at the section uh from verses 22 to 39 the first part really head is titled calming the storm the second part is the lord jesus confronting um the demons there's a connection between both of these because what I'd like to suggest to you is that the Lord Jesus is confronting evil. The first one is in the storm and the second one is in the the demons that are within a man called Legion and how he dealt with it and what are the purposes in the way that he dealt with it and particularly for us today. So, I think once again it'd be worthwhile we just read it. I know these uh, these stories are to some of you are very well known, but uh, like so much in Scripture, <laughs> when we read them, uh, we get so much more from it every time we do it. So let's just read together. Um, we'll read the... I'll do it in two sections actually. I think we'll just read the section 22... To 25. I'll talk about that and then we'll read the other section. So, Luke 8:22 reads, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. I think uh, the points, some of the points I'd like to just bring out for your consideration. Um, everything the Lord did when he was here on earth had a purpose. It's one of the great things that you know, we know for a fact that everything he did, it was not recorded. Because all the books of the world could not contain the amount of things that the Lord Jesus said and did. And so we have only a little section of his activities. But as we believe it to be the inspired word of God, then the purpose of these sections that we have of his short time here on earth whilst he was um, serving God, and preparing for his crucifixion, that these times are precious and they are times which we can learn so much from him because he is the perfect son of God. He is the perfect example for us as humans. If we want to follow anybody, then he's the one who should be doing it because he is God first thing we, we, we read about here is that Jesus saying to his disciples he wanted to go over to the other side of the lake. This is Lake, lake Galilee. And the other side of the lake, as we'll read about later, was a section where it was the Gentiles lived. So the Lord Jesus makes this decision. He asks his disciples to take him out in the boat. And then you read that he gets into the boat and he falls asleep. Now, I don't know whether you do the same thing, as to try and picture these things. Um, I'm led to believe that the type of boat that they had then used mainly by fishermen, and I'm sure obviously for conveying people as well, um, were never very large. It's not a a massive lake, but it's uh, it's, it's large enough. that the boats they would have had were ones that would have a sail and possibly oars as well. And so it wouldn't be a a tremendously large boat. But the Lord got into it and he fell asleep. You don't read about the Lord Jesus falling asleep very often. In fact, I think this is the only occasion. Um, That doesn't mean to say he didn't sleep. Of course he did. Um, He was like us, He he was tired and there were times when he felt exhausted and needed sleep. Here he gets into the boat and he sleeps, and a storm comes up. Now, the remarkable thing that that I picked up on immediately again in this story was how do you sleep in a boat that's in such a storm? These guys' uh, disciples, some of them were fishermen, so they were expert boatmen. They were used to the storms, and apparently... Storms in the Sea of Galilee were not uncommon and these guys, they did it for a living, so they were out there, they knew exactly what to expect, they they were skilled in handling a boat and they were knowledgeable, I imagine, about the storms, the type of storms, and how they should combat them when they're out on their boat. They found themselves getting into a situation where they were absolutely terrified. And they realized they were going to drown and the Lord Jesus is sleeping (laughs) and you think what is that all about to me it's a picture of the peace and the contentment of Christ you get first of all the humanity he was tired And he needed sleep, so we all understand that and appreciate that. But he is also God, and he is testing his disciples. And he puts himself into a sleep where he is totally at rest. And what we have here is a storm that is so bad that I imagine these people had maybe never encountered a storm like it because they were fearful of death. And they're scurrying around, I imagine, they're trying to bail out, they're trying to keep the boat (laughs) afloat uh, and heading into the wind, as I believe is the right thing to do when you're sailing, and that you're trying to maybe use your oars to keep it in the right direction and uh, bailing out water that's inevitably coming in and beginning to build up and the boat's getting lower in the water, and Jesus is sleeping. You think, what's all that about? And it's not, into, and you think all of these sailors or these disciples, they're scurrying around, and Jesus, presumably, is visible again in a fairly small boat. I would imagine, is sleeping there, and they're crossing over him, and there's water <laughs> all around him. It just seems bizarre, but you think again: what is the purpose of this? I believe this was an attack by Satan. Now, I mean, we think well, storms uh, are acts of nature, are they not? We we know that that uh, people till we read about these great storms that we get in the Atlantic Ocean and that turn into hurricanes and such like, and they can explain why all that happens. But this is, I think, was a picture of the Lord confronting the power of Satan. I'll explain that a little bit later, maybe in more detail, but he's at peace. He is totally relaxed and he's not perturbed. And in contrast, his disciples are terrified. And it took them, it seems, quite a while. They're all to the point when they just are giving up and realising that we're going to sink, we're going to drown. We better go to Jesus. And they come to him. And it says, you know, that um, they approach him, they draw near. If you read the, the Greek words, they draw near to him and they wake him up. What was the Lord doing here? He was, he was setting up a, a confrontation here, a situation where he was um, desiring of the disciples to come to him. There was no way these disciples were going to die because Christ was there. But he was waiting in that state of sleep, waiting for them to come to him. He wanted that approach, coming to him. You read about it in First Peter 2, you know, you come to him as a living stone with confidence. You know, this was a teaching here that the Lord was just waiting. He was waiting for them to realize that they are confronted with death. And it's almost the last resort, he came to Jesus. That is something we can relate to, you know, in that even in our lives as Christians, there are so many times that we are confronted with storms, and it's not until you've tried everything else that you come to Jesus. You've, I've done that. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm. Um, pointing the finger at you as well maybe it's just me that does that you try the natural things you try the, when I say natural things the things that are come to hand your own self you work your way out of it sometimes it, hap- it, it, it sorts itself and you maybe thank the Lord later a lot of times you keep working and working it's not working, nothing's happening and then you think oh, maybe I ought to go to Jesus I think, you know, that what happens here is that um, the scriptures teach us that we should draw near. We should draw near with a confidence to God. The Lord chastised them because of their lack of faith. And that's something that I think we need to be generally aware in our own lives, of our lack of faith. Um, some have greater faith than others. Some live their lives constantly in touch with Christ and would have come to Christ in this situation as soon as the storm started. Others of us will wait until we're almost drowning and come to Christ. The Lord, I don't know how often sometimes think about him having a smile on his face in these situations as he's testing them and it's here in writing for us to get into this story and to appreciate it and apply it to our lives that the need to draw near to why do we need to draw near it's so that we can receive mercy and find grace in time of need there's lots of situations in our lives where we are in need and they come in all shapes and sizes and difficulties and problems. And we can sometimes, if you think, point the finger at God and criticize him, why does he allow these things to happen? I was just thinking this morning and, you know, about the, the rock um, that followed the children of Israel, you know, that when when they were taken through the red sea and they're setting out and they have no water and the first water they come to is bitter and you think why god didn't need to do that and then after that they get the they journey for until they're thirsty again and, and he doesn't take them to any water and they cry out in desperation until they come to god through moses and God provides it. God could have provided it without them asking. But why, in the same situation here, why does he wait? Because the answer that I would give to that is because he wants a relationship with us. If he just kept looking after us without us asking, we wouldn't understand him. We wouldn't appreciate him. We wouldn't know him. And that's what he wants most of all is an understanding that we need him and therefore he wants us to call upon him and to tell us tell him our problems no he doesn't know them of course he knows them knows them better than we do but he wants us to come to him and ask and so the lord is sleeping there in the boat the boat is sinking People are confronted with death. It's as extreme as that, and they come to Jesus, and He stands up and He rebukes the wind and the waves, and there is perfect calm. It's interesting, you know, that He, the word there used is rebuke. How do you rebuke wind? How do you rebuke? nature that's why I think it's satanic here that the prince the power of the air the prince of this world has got a lot of power a storm I think the Lord was well aware of it where it had come from and who was behind it and so the rebuke is him who is the creator of the world. And it's quite right, of course, to look at it as well, that's the creator controlling his creation. And that's perfectly right, that's what was happening. But to rebuke them was indicating that he was disapproving of what was happening, he was disapproving of the wind and the storm. So therefore, that's why I think it's satanic. It was being churned up because it was Satan's attacking. And the Lord here is confronting it head on. And he's testing his disciples, saying, you know, I'm here. Have faith. Your faith will save you. My presence will save you. You have nothing to worry about. Face the evil. That, I think, was also leading on to the next story because that only takes up a few few, uh, sentences, a few verses in our Bible. And um, they are left with this marvelling at what he's done And this is men who have already seen the uh, uh, activities of Christ. They've already encountered uh, him raising the dead. They've already seen him uh, healing the sick. They've seen his power, and yet here they are marvelling. And again, is that not just like us? (laughs) How many times have we marveled at the power of God in our lives and then a few weeks months years later something else happens and we marvel or we pray for something and God answers it and we are amazed (laughs) let's just go on and read on the second section of this so this is uh, from verse 26 So they sailed to the region of the Gazarenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out from the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him to him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. As I said at the the beginning, this, I think, with the purpose of Jesus saying to go over, was so that he would have this confrontation with Satan. And I think the storm is almost as Satan's way of trying to prevent this we talk about the you know when we talk about the temptations of the lord sometimes we're guilty of confining it to the period after his baptism when the, the, the satan uh, tempted him in the desert satan was tempting him all the time and was attacking him all the time and it was main purpose i believe was of course to prevent him going to the cross Sometimes I think we we can belittle Satan and dismiss Satan at our peril, really. He is an extremely powerful angel and he has been given power and allowed power and is in constant conflict with anybody who sides with Christ. And I think this story helps us when it comes to understanding whose side we're on and the power of Christ or the power of God in comparison with the power of Satan. (coughs) What we should never forget is that on our own, Satan could totally control us and would win every battle the only way we got a chance of defeating him is with the help of Christ. And that is why I think taking these two stories together, taking them, just and boxing them in and saying, let's just look at this as I'm doing now, is to say this is why the Lord Jesus was saying, look, here's the power of Satan. Here he is. You can't beat him. You might be the best sailors in the world, but you're going to drown. But if you call on me, I can stop this. I am. My power is far greater than Satan's. Where is your faith? And then he turns up and he's immediately confronted with a man who has, is full of demons. And what is it that he's teaching there is that that man and the story about that man, his life was horrendous, but he's controlled by Satan and it's evil. And you see the power of evil and you see the the, the horror of evil. And you look at that man's life and you think, how terrible. But even the power that was given to that man that says when they chained him, they couldn't even hold him. And this is satanic power and it is powerful and it's something we need to be aware of. And it seems to me as if the Lord's coming here and he's pointing and he's saying, look, (laughs) that's satanic, look at him. And even the the demons within that man recognised Christ immediately. And they knew, they knew he was coming because it's satanic. And Satan had tried to stop him. And they knew he was coming to them. And they were frightened. And they know, Satan knows, what's going to happen to him at the end. The Bible teaches us that. And that's why he's fighting against it. But he knows what's going to happen because he's a very powerful, knowledgeable angel. And he knows what God has in store for him. And he's angry. And he's constantly working away, trying to prevent successes, prevent people coming to God. And and he's got some hope, I suppose, that somehow he's going to be able to prevent what the future has in store for him. That challenge, um, I think the Lord was also pointing to the future, because what are you saying to us, saying to his disciples is that here 's the, the challenge this is what the other side are like. this is evil, and what i 'm giving you and offering you is eternal life with my Father in heaven, and so you get this picture of them pleading with the Son of Man, pleading with them not to do this or to do that or not to torture them, not to upset them. And he is in control. He decides. Why did he do what he did? Well, again, when you think about that, he takes, it allows them to go out into pigs. I think the, the fact that it's swine that are used there's a clear picture that this was, I think, an area of land that was controlled by the Gentiles. The the Jews would never have had pigs. They were an unclean animal. They were regarded by the Jews, and you read about it in Leviticus, it was was not an animal that they they, um, cultivated or they ate. It was an unclean animal. But for the Gentiles, that was different. But again, in order to just the Lord could just have said to the, these um, evil spirits, "Leave them, leave them alone," and they would be gone. But what would people have seen? <laughs> they would have seen nothing. They might have just seen the man, They would have seen the man change. But again, just to again to show His power, to show the control, the ultimate control that the, that God has over the future, uh, the future of how he's going to deal with Satan. He, he does this dramatic thing and he, put, he allows them to go into the pigs and people can see it's such a dramatic scene of the pigs killing them, rushing down and drowning. And everybody can see the thing that the man changes from being this weird um, idiot that used to run around uh, naked and um, so powerful and frightening character becomes sane and normal. And you see the, the evidence of the evil spirits, the demons that were in him being dealt with and being killed. And that Was seen for all. What were the purposes of all of that then was that when we look at the future we need to be prepared and understanding that we're on the winning side. That the difficulties that we have now in life is that we need to be looking to the future what is in store for us. We are constantly being confronted with evil. We are being confronted with difficulties, death, um, evil all around us that affect us. And the Lord's well aware of all of that. And what he's saying to us, he's gonna take that away. But not yet. The Lord was teaching them there as, as, the, as the, this scene was before them, that he was also showing that there's going to be different ways of interpreting this because there's going to be those who are probably the, the, the people who were looking after this wine had just lost their livelihood. Um, the people who hadn't seen it are going to hear about it and are, are going to end up being frightened Uh, but they're not prepared to accept christ as their saviour and so they're going to ask jesus to leave we don't want you here we were perfectly happy before and of course that's the type of people that you can come across that when you try to introduce the lord jesus in the subject or you want to explain while you're a Christian, they really don't want to know. They're perfectly happy. Um, they've got, to, to, to stick with this picture, they've got their business, they're looking after their pigs, they're making lots of money, and really they're quite content. And we don't want that taken away. Sometimes deciding to follow Jesus comes at a cost that some people are just not prepared to pay, and um, and we read about it all the time. Uh, and of course, I think if you the most recent case in the reading about in the Bible, sorry, in the news uh, about the Christian and girl woman in Pakistan, you think there's a woman that I don't know too much about her case, but she obviously stood up for her Lord uh, against. Uh, Muslims, and she's ended up 10 years in prison under the threat of death, and um, she's somebody who stood up for what she believed in. That is an example, one example of many, many of people who have suffered because they have made the choice to follow Christ, and that, we might look at our own lives and think we're very comfortable often, we don't really suffer enough a lot. Um, But suffering is there. It's all around us and it might touch us. And the teaching here is, of course, um, he's a God of peace and he's a God who will crush Satan. You read about that in Romans chapter 16. He says he will crush Satan. Satan has already been cast out of heaven. The Lord Jesus referred to it that he'd seen it. He had seen Satan being cast out of heaven. And he's also telling in his word, that he is, that time is coming when he will be crushed. He's also telling us, really, in 1 Corinthians 10, that although we are going to be tempted, although we are going to have these difficulties. He'll not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can endure. And that is him saying is that we know we're all different and he knows our level of faith and trust in God is different. He knows all that and whilst we have the difficulties we again we shouldn't have that fear. He's not going to take us to the breaking point. He'll be with us and he will help us overcome these difficulties because we're not going to be tempted and above, beyond that which we can endure. He also tells us that if we resist Satan, he will flee from us. Now that's a a marvellous promise there. If we resist him, he will flee from us. And again, that is another um, indication that the Lord Jesus is going to help us because that's not something we can do on our own. But if we make the conscious effort of recognising, and this is again which is coming out in this story, is to recognise where Satan is attacking, where he's uh, involved in our life, that we can make the decision then, let's resist, I shall resist him. Of course, if you don't recognize them, then you're not going to resist them. So that's again why the Lord can sometimes make Satan's actions very, very evident in our lives. And the closer we are to the Lord, the more evidence and revelation we're going to get of where Satan is active. And therefore, we can resist with the power and the help of the Lord Jesus We know in the future when you look into Revelation and uh, about what the Lord's purposes are for Satan, you read in Revelation 12 that there's a time coming when he's going to be so full of fury because he knows his time is short. It's, It's always remarkable to think that Satan knows, he knows his future, and yet he just makes them angry. <laughs> it makes them more furious and makes them more active to fight it. But from our point of view, we should get peace and satisfaction from that: that the Lord is going to win. And we know it from His word, and we can rely on that, and therefore trust and help, help is there for the times that we need him now. But when we look to the future, you're, you're back in, <laughs> I'm going to say back in the right horse, but you know what I mean. The future is secure. It says that, you know, the, at the end of this, and this, I'll just close, um, he got in the when they said leave, the Lord Jesus left. You always read that the Lord never stays around where he's not wanted. And again, I think it's just a picture that at the end days, at the end times, the Lord Jesus is going to have a people who have chosen him. And that's what he wants. We all have free choice. And we talk about this a lot. You know, he gave free choice in the Garden of Eden. And evil was there, and the choice was always given us. But he wants to end up with people who have chosen him over evil. And that's what happened here. It was perfectly obvious. This man, just look at him in his right mind, clothed and praising God. There was a result of the hand of God. And therefore, what's the hand of Satan? There are all these dead pigs floating in the water. You think, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? <laughs> but it wasn't to these people. They rejected Christ. They rejected him and said, go away. So what did he do? He went away. And that's the sad thing I think that we always got to think about is that we, when we're talking to people about the Lord Jesus, is how much opportunity do we get? It's to say to them, you know, you might only get this one opportunity. Well, you take Jesus. If you say no, he might go away. And there's no record of the Lord Jesus ever coming back here. The man wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus said to him, no, you stay here. Here's the job I've got for you. You preach to your own people and you tell them what I've done. And again, that's submission to the will of the Lord. Sometimes we know we need to do that. We might think it would be great to be off with loads of other people doing things in another part when in fact the Lord is saying, no, you work in your own community, your own family. That's your your duty, your responsibility. Shall we pray?